I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. There's never been such acceleration, change, and innovation in payments. The last five years has seen unprecedented change in method, speed, and impact. Jonathan Bell, President and Head of Client Relationships at Red Compass Labs, takes us through the opportunities and challenges of a faster payments world. If you think about what an instant payment means, I want to get money from me to you instantly. Now, that's one thing if we're both using the same payment system. So we're both using a wallet on our smartphone and we're both in the same country. But if you're in a different country across the world and you're using a different payment endpoint, getting it from me to you has to go through many more hops. So that's more complicated, of course. And what we're seeing is that there is increasing demand from the average consumer, customer, people like us. They want the money to move instantly. So they want this to happen to so the drive for it. But there's also... As we say, it's usually challenging to get the end-to-end flow to work in all circumstances. And your point about this is a two-speed approach. I mean, simplistically, you could argue that one is is legislation driving and demanding, and that's forcing the hand. And we see that in Europe, don't we, where um, the European Parliament, the European Council said, these are the dates when it must happen. You must be able to receive um, very quickly, and you've got a bit longer to be able to send instant payments. And that makes everybody sit up and take notice and start to move. Other parts of the world are more customer demand led, when they don't have to do it. And they'll respond when they have to, or when the market's demanding it. So it's a little bit slower from that perspective. But also, I think it's a bit simplistic to just say, and one could, but I think it's not quite as black and white as that, because I think even within regions where you might not think they move so quick, they do, and they can. And they're more advanced than you might expect. So it's a, it's a complicated old um, tapestry that we look at, uh, which makes it all the more fascinating, actually, an interesting place to work in and, and lots of opportunity to help and lots of problems to solve, which you know we enjoy too. Let's look at opportunity first rather than problem. I come on to problem because there are problems which do need to be addressed. But what kind of opportunity are we talking about presenting? Who are going to be the winners? Who are going to be the losers? In terms of the individuals, I mean, we've seen like with UPI in, in India that it's, it's lifting people out of poverty. So people will be the winners as we roll out this new technology. Individuals and something that we, we care about at Red Compass Labs. It's always, it's always personal, actually. It's always working for a person who's got a mandate to deliver a project in a bank or we're working to try in our mission statement is try to, to help enable access to those financial tools and systems to people everywhere. And and we love to see what UPI did in India and enabled all these people across that huge country to access instant ready finance. And that changed the game completely. So people will be the winners. Who in terms of the organizations that provide it will be winners and losers? Well, if you look at the established card providers in those regions of India and Brazil, they used to have huge thriving businesses where everybody used credit cards. And now they don't because their, their, their market share has eroded massively simply because of this new opportunity that's there with UPI, with instant payments, with wallets, with other technology approaches that I guess the younger generation is picking up quickly and using. And so the traditional payment providers and the service providers do have their work cut out to make sure that they can respond and react and stay relevant. And they're working on it, and there's innovation happening in those spaces too. So certainly all is not lost, but it's changed. In the last few years, the market has changed massively, and the winners and losers depends on who responds to that change and gets ahead of it quickly. So I think the established players have got a lot of work to do, and by that I mean the banks as well as the old traditional card providers. And for the new entrants as well, they can promise a lot, and they can claim a lot, 
but maybe they only offer a small piece of the puzzle, actually, despite some very slick marketing. What about all of the rest? And so how we join up the, it, it, I can make this payment to you instantly, isn't it brilliant? We're all different payments. Yeah, but only for these sorts of payments and these sorts of places and these sorts of things. To fill in the rest of what actually we need banking services to provide us, there's a lot in between. We've seen significant developments, particularly in the last 12 months. The instant payment system in the United States has gone live. The ISO 2022 messaging system has gone live. But there are potential problems. It's Instant payments is great, providing it works the way it's supposed to. But it's also hugely risky, potentially, for customers. Because if it's an instant payment, it's instant. And your money's gone. And it could have been shuffled on many more times. So. What does all this mean for fin crime and for money laundering? Well, yeah, exactly. That is the question. An instant payment that goes to the wrong place or for the wrong purpose is a disaster. And we create, by enabling payments to move instantly and the larger and larger sums of money that can move instantly, We it's potentially a dream for the money launderers out there and those committing financial crime. So that is a real challenge. So um, if you think about it, if, if the ISO 20022 standard is the new framework on top of which everything should run. And that provides you with a much richer data set to capture details of who's sending, who's receiving, and what that payment is for and what it's doing. So there's a lot more information that will be ultimately, you know, when everybody's on it and fully compliant by 2025-ish, if that date holds, the data is there. So that's the undercarriage that's in place. And then you overlay on top of that, we're going to do instant payments, do these rails, and, and so on and so forth, as I've been discussing. The part of this move towards the ISO richer data set is to capture information that will enable that automated detection of financial crime. Now, then comes the question of how do you understand that data that's with that payment in context with whatever else the bank or the banking services provider can, can know about their customer to make an instant decision to stop or to let that payment move? And that's a challenge. And I think what we're seeing is you know, as we've we've been helping lots of our clients work on the ISO 2002 regulations to get compliant on the different dates and there's a, a rolling series of dates this year, next year, and so on. And they differ around the world as well. It's not just upgrade your payments platform and you're done. It, it impacts the whole end-to-end flow. Of course, the payment comes into the bank, comes in through a gateway, it lands in your payment system. It's got to go to accounting. It's got to go to core banking. It's got to go through the financial crime detection systems to be validated against sanctions, against AML, and so on. And then it goes to another gateway and out the door. So all that end-to-end flow has to be considered. And actually, to your point, keeping up with even yesterday's financial crime detection systems with the new data set that's rolling through is one challenge. But then making that whole thing fit for purpose in today's or tomorrow's world with instant payments and new crime types is another challenge. I think we'd all recognize we'd spend a lot of time at, um, talking about financial crime with, with banks and partners and how to crack this nut. I think the way it's being done typically isn't working. We're not detecting enough of the financial crime. If we detect 1% or something, it's just... And sometimes you're detecting too much because you're flagging <laughs> right. up things that are not criminal activities. Exactly. So your payments get stopped if you make three payments that look similar. We're stopping that. Oh, what? I'm just in a, you know, I'm doing what I always do. Exactly. So it's too simplistic is the problem. 
what we need to do, and there's, there, are, there are various new players entering the market, uh, making use of this new technology. You know, people like to talk about machine learning and AI, and lots of people can say that much, but don't really understand what that means behind it. And, you know, we could all be guilty of doing that to some extent. But actually, if the data is there, you can today understand that data and understand the behavior that's going on with that customer. I know Robin's behavior is typically like this, and that fits with who he is. We can understand that. We're his bank. We know who he is. He's our customer. So that when your payments come through, and they might be flying through in real time, that makes sense. So that's Robin. That's what he buys. That's where he goes. That's what he does. It makes sense. So that's part of it. And understanding that in, in context is important. But then as these crime types emerge, and you know, we spend a lot of time looking at different flavors, wrong term, different different types of human trafficking related crimes, you can understand what these things look like, and we do. And then you can feed that into your behavioral analysis so that, ah, Robin normally behaves like this and his transactions look like that. But now they look different, and actually they're flagging up against what we would anticipate these sorts of crimes to look like. I use your name, Odin, only as an example of I'm talking to you. Um, <laughs> you so, so you can make you can make that snap decision with much more rich information and justification for why you're making it, and reduce, therefore, all these false positives that are killing the banks, and stop these large uh, teams having to process so many false positives. If you know, if seventy, eighty percent of them are false wasting everybody's time and it's infuriating customers like you when your payment gets stopped when it's perfectly reasonable so you know we want to change the game there and help with that and in theory the iso data provides that richness of information and if the bank and the vendors who provide these these software solutions in the aml and sanctions and and fraud spaces can get the data organized together to understand it and um, correctly then you can make those snap decisions now, I can explain it and make it quite simple. It sounds easy. It's never easy. There's lots to do. But it is possible to a greater extent. And my wife was asking me this morning, how can frictionless payments ever really happen? Well, this is the answer, right? Only by detecting the criminal ones and being able to stop more of them, that you can be confident to let more go through because you're happy that they're legitimate. Are we going to be able to, though? That's the bottom line. You have a situation where we're in a transition period now which, as you said, fingers crossed, will be resolved by 2025. Ish. Ish. What happens next after that? So I, I think, I think yes, I think some will. By 2025, I don't think it'll all be sorted. No, not a chance. It's too much to do, too many moving pieces. But, but various parties will be well on the way. But of course, meeting the regulatory um, requirement is only a step. It's a big step, but it's a step in the journey. And then, of course, the conversation comes down to, well, if the banks need to provide instant payments and need to run all of these financial crime, clever systems and detection analytics and make sure they're doing everything right for the customer, that's expensive. So when the, you know, the banks put their business hats back on, uh, they always wear them and they, they're focusing on it. How do they make money by offering you know, value add premium services to those customers? So to your winners and losers point, it's those who will be able to provide the instant, the secure, the financial crime detected, validated, prevented, end-to-end systems, but by also providing services that customers want to pay for, they will win. However, we want to look at the world, certain realities still persist. Um, you know, snowfalls from up to down, economic realities drive winners and losers in the business space. And so 
Um, the industry has to find ways to overlay services to their customers that delight the customers that the customers want to pay for to make an even better experience for them that is over and above the mandated minimum. Um, and that will take longer than 2025. And that will vary region to region. And that will depend on customer demand and the market moving, as well as regulations and legislation that insists on it in certain places. And then learning from different regions. You know, I think certainly as we as we were looking at the world through COVID, um, in payments, we were excited at what Asia was doing and felt that it would leap out of the blocks perhaps quicker than than the rest. I think they are doing some exciting things, and we've talked about some of those examples already. But then you look across, you know, I'm sitting here, of course, in, in the UK, and Europe is mandating change, and so change is happening. And you look at the US, which is a fascinating market. It's always a huge market, huge opportunity, huge potential on top of what they already have, which is incredible. But they don't mandate things as much in the US. It has to be driven by market demand, and that market demand will grow. And particularly, I think, as they look out and see that other places have it, they will want it too. And so that will come. It might just take a little bit longer for these services to be made available widely across the US. But we mustn't for a moment think, just because there are still checks being processed in North America, maybe they've died out in other places, you don't see them much here. But they're also very sophisticated with their point of sale and payments capability. It isn't far, far from it that you're sitting writing with a, you know, a, a pen and a quill and ink. Um, to make your transaction on a check. Not at all. They're very advanced in many ways with their wallets and their Venmo and their cash apps and so on. So as I say, that's, that just put, plays back to our earlier point that it's not just a two-speed. There's, there's very fast within what might be considered as being a little bit of a way back on the journey. And there's, you know, countries that are advanced have got some gaps. So it's a fascinating um, tapestry, as I say. Jonathan Bell, President and Head of Client Relationships at Red Compass Labs.